Good morning, everybody. I come up on the stage a little bit early again. I always do that for some reason. I always come a little early. Uh, it's so good to have you. If you're a visitor or you're brand new, normally you wouldn't be seeing me. You'd see our, our wonderful Pastor Clay. I'm kind of like the relief pitcher. Come in. He's in all seriousness. He he grinds week in and week out and brings us the word. And and listen, just in in getting to do this a few times, it's a heavy thing to get up here and do every week. So let's give let's give Clay a hand. I sure do appreciate him. My name's Jeremy, uh, if you don't know who I am, and, and I'm kind of like, um, you know how like some people, you go to church, you're like, man, I, I just, I, I want to do something, but I don't really know what I'm, like, I have a special gifting yet. I'm kind of like that. I'm not really good at anything, but I can do just a few things like, okay, but here's the secret. What you got to do is you got to really latch on to people and just annoy the living daylights out of them. Perfect example. If you learn like five chords on the guitar and learn how to use a capo, you can play every song that's ever been written. <laughs> so Justin, finally, he gave me an opportunity to play, and now Craig tells me where to put my capo, and then boom, I'm on the worship team, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> in all seriousness, uh, my wife asked me this morning, she said, are you ready? And I said, well, I think so. And then, and then a, a, a thought came to my mind, and that's, you, you know, God is always ready, Amen. God is always ready, and we just have to be available, right? So that, that's what I'm trying to be, and I encourage you, if you're, if you're interested in stepping out, this, things like this really challenge you and, and bring you closer to the Lord personally, so I would just encourage you to do that, and I just want to pray over us real quick before we get started into the message, so let's just pray, everybody. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just love you so much. I'm so thankful for this opportunity, God, to, to gather people into one place with the freedom to, to, to worship and to praise you and to learn about you. God, I just pray that you would speak to your people this morning, that you would give us your word, that you would empower us and you would strengthen us. There's so many people in here that come from so many different walks of life, so many different families represented, and we all bring in different things, God. And I pray that people would feel peace and feel freedom and feel empowered, God, and feel your joy this morning, and we could learn and we could grow together. And we just give this service, we give this message we give everything completely to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of my message this morning is Law and Love. Now these are two topics that are uh, honestly, well, they're foundational throughout the entirety of Scripture. Um, and, and sometimes they can be a little bit confusing, right? We talk about love, we talk about Jesus. Those are, that's a really comfortable thing to hear. Jesus loves you, He died for us, that's good. And then when we talk about law, it's like, well, some things are kind of a little bit hard to understand, and like, how does it all fit in? And so hopefully, by the end of this, we can have a little bit better understanding of how they do that. Now, before we get into the actual scripture and the meat and the potatoes of the message, if you will, I want to kind of give you some backstory and foundation of really what led me into this message to begin with. And I begin to think, um, and, and I want to pose you a question. It's the same question that I thought in my mind, and, and that is, do I really need God? And I want to ask you that same question. You don't have to answer, obviously. Do you need God? Now, the short answer and the obvious answer, and, and most of us, the quote-unquote right thing to say here would be, of course we need God. Yes, we need God. But I begin to think about it in terms of, do I really live my life every single day, day in and day out, as if I am relying completely on God? 
Am I relying on him on for, as far as salvation goes and how I leave my family, family, how I'm a husband and I'm a father and I'm a friend, how I deal with conflict? Am I involving him in the decisions that I make and all those things? And I began to ponder that. And that led me to thinking about when I first came, as, when I was 18 years old, I'll get into it a little bit more later, but when I was 18, I first really felt this pull, like I really need God. Like we really need God. And so... I want to jump right in here. I'm going to give you the first point right off the bat. Now, Brother Daniel back there, him and I have been traveling around this beautiful nation of ours in Georgia and Tennessee and everywhere else trying to hunt turkeys, and, and it's easy to get lost sometimes, and we were talking about that. And he said, you know, Jeremy, before you can be found, you've got to realize you're lost. And that's a simple truth, and let's, let's break that down a little bit. Now, I thought you guys have seen the movie The Good and the Bad and the Ugly. And when I was thinking about this message, that 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 saying, not the movie, the good, the bad, and the ugly came to my mind. And 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 so I want to dive into that. I'm not going to dive into the movie, of course. I did think about like smoking a cigar while I preach to kind of better, you know how Clint Eastwood's got the That's just a joke. You can laugh or not. It's it's good. So let, let's, let's wrestle with good first. Now, the problem, the, problem, the foundational problem is, is the topic of good and really how we define good. Now, if we go back to the beginning of time, when God started creating things, He spoke and He created and, and, and all these beautiful things happened. And what did He say each and every time He created something? It is good, right? And then we got to this point where we're tempted and we get the fruit there and and then we know what happens, but that represented for us a decision on whether or not we're going to let God continue to lead us and guide us and define for us what is good, or are we going to become our own gods and begin defining what we think is good? And if you look at our track record through human history, we are absolutely terrible at defining what's good. In fact, I, I may say something's good, and Matt may say something's good, and, but what if my good says his good's bad? Like it doesn't so there's so much uncertainty, everything is unclear, and so really how we define good is a foundational problem. And in fact, it leads to the bad and the ugly. Yeah. Now I want to give you some statistics to paint a picture for you. Now these are very negative things, and, and but we need to get there, right? We gotta get lost first, okay? Every 30 seconds, someone is diagnosed with cancer. Think about that. Let these things sink in for just a minute. 40 to 50%, depending on what source you use, of marriages in the United States will end in divorce. Drug overdose since the year I was born in 1990 has tripled. Drug overdose deaths has tripled since 1990. And those, those people who are addicted to drugs or different alcohol or different things actually began drinking alcohol and, and kind of dabbling in drugs before they were 18 years old. Now, then, not to mention creation itself, right? This past year, it's just like you're waiting this week. It's like, what's going to happen? We got floods, we got ice storms, we got hail in April. It's just like, it's the, we're living through a pandemic. So there's so much chaos. And the one thing that we hopefully can come to the conclusion of all together here is that things are broken, things are messed up, not only in the world, but in ourself, in our hearts. Things are messed up. We're lost big time. And we need to be found. And that's the, 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 the first point that I really want you to wrestle with this morning. Now let's dive into some scripture. And um, so there's a lot of stories that could really paint this picture of law and love really well. And I'm going to use a, a, a small, simple story that actually comes from 
the book of Nehemiah. And I discovered this story. Um, Richard uh, turned us on to this book called the Jesus Storybook. Uh, and it's a children's like Bible. We read it to the kids every night. They love it. Uh, and so if you've got kids, I recommend that. That's a little, little nugget there. Um, but we were reading it one night about this story, and it really jumped off the page to me. And it was during the time that I was wrestling with this message and, and thinking about what I wanted to say and what I wanted to read. And so I want to give you a little bit of backstory first before we dive into the Scripture. Now, Nehemiah takes place after the fact the Babylonians have came in. They've completely destroyed Jerusalem. The Israelites were in exile. And now we're after that just a little bit. And some of the people are coming out of exile, going back into Jerusalem. And they're going to be rebuilding not only that place, but also just their entire social structure and their religious structure and all those things. And there's this fella named Ezra, and, and he's, we're going to pick up with him. But really his goal here is to kind of rally the troops, so to speak. He's trying to bring about social and spiritual structure, and he's trying to remind the people of the goodness of God and God's law and all that stuff. So we're going to dive in. This is Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Now you can read this, and you can read the entire book there if you want to. And I'm also going to be jumping around to some other books of the Bible and Romans and different places, so... You guys just kind of bear with me, and everything should be up here behind me so you can see it. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate, and they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of law of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men and women, and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month, then he read it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So here's this picture. There's a bunch of people around, kind of like we're doing right now. And there's a guy standing there and he's reading the book of the law from sunup to noonday. And so what is the law? Now, when I say what is the law, most of us probably think at least to the Ten Commandments or you know the law that, that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai. And it's, it's much deeper that, than that, and I want us to think about it a little bit deeper than that as well. It's actually the first five books of the Bible, what we're referring to here this morning. It's called the Torah, which is translated into the law. And there's actually 613 commandments throughout those five books, and they go into a lot of different things covering from you know, what's clean, what's inclin- unclean. You know, Clay preached a message about the tabernacle, or actually an entire series, and, and, and all these things, and it goes into depth about them. And when you're reading through them, sometimes it's a little bit tough. And we begin to ask questions like, well, what, what, what's this for? How is it relevant to our lives? Do we, do we follow some of these laws? Do we follow all these laws? Were these laws given to these people for just this particular point in time in history? And so it can be just a little bit confusing, but I want to back up to really when, when the law was given in the first place and think about this in terms of a story. One, rather than like an encyclopedia list of like what to do, what not to do, this is a story. And so here they are, the, the people have just came out of Egypt. Uh, Moses had delivered, well God delivered them, Moses led them out of Egypt. And, and the people really didn't recognize their own ability. And they told Moses, they said, you go talk to God and whatever he says we'll do. And so at that point God gives this law and we enter into this covenant of law. Now, this was a process that God knew we had to go through to understand that we even needed salvation to begin with. You guys follow me? 
So I want you, I want you to think about, when I, when, I re- when I heard this for the first time, this kind of little, uh, you know, analogy, is that what it's called, maybe? Um, it really painted a good picture for me in terms of how to look at the law. Now, if you think about my own kids, we got Eliza here and Everett's over there probably tearing something down, but they're, they're two and almost six, uh, and, and so how I deal with them, even in those few short years, is completely different. Like, I can talk to Everett and I can say, hey, you know, I can explain why we don't do things and why we don't punch your sister in the face and why we don't, you know, and he can kind of comprehend some things. Eliza is like trying to take care of a cracked out squirrel. It's just like up one side of the wall, down the other. She's telling her mommy, you're not the boss. Um, You know, all these things. So we have to deal with her. We can't just sit down and have a conversation yet. Like how I correct them and discipline them. It's much different, right? And in fact, when they become teenagers, that's going to look different than, than where they're at now. And then when they get married and have their kids, like how I'm a father to them is going to look a little bit different, right? It's not that I love them any less or any more throughout their entire life. It's just that it's a process that they have to go through to get to reaching you know, an adult. And that's the same way... God is with us. He knew in this moment in history, in this time, that we had to go through this aging process, so to speak, that would eventually lead to Jesus and where we are now. Okay, So that's, that's the point of this, and that's how I want us to think about this. And God's entire, His heart this whole time is to take these people. We have broken things. It's a mess. It's a disaster. He wants to call His people, separate them, so that they could reflect God, reflect His goodness, reflect His glory to the entire world. In order for that to happen, we had to be a little bit different. Amen? We couldn't be, we can't be like the rest of the world. And so He gives us these instructions. He gives us these guidelines. Amen. Amen. So here we are. And I want you to, to think about this, this verse here. And... And the law can really be summed up, and, and in fact, Jesus pointed to it. Um, they asked him, well, what's the greatest of, of, of all the laws? And he says, he says this in Mark 12, verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So again, God's entire heart this whole time is simply to separate a group of people. They can reflect God's goodness to the world. They can love Him, be in right relationship with Him, and then love other people. Okay? Let's pick back up in Nehemiah. Chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was a governor... Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Now this is heavy, right? So here they are. you got to think about where they are at this point in their life. They had just come out of exile. They were rebuilding their life. Things had been going wrong. They heard the law. They realized that because they broke it to begin with, That's the entire reason they were in this shape. And really going back to that old covenant, right? That was the covenant. If you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be cursed. And it was very simple. And that's kind of the roller coaster that they were living in. And they realized this and it brought them to tears. They brought them to a place in their life where they were broken and they were weeping. Now, point number two that I have for you, this leads into this, is the law has an end 
goal. There's a purpose to the law. 1 Corinthians 15.56 says, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Now this is really interesting. It's, I want you to pay close attention here. The law can't change us as a person. Okay, I want, you, I want you to really grab a hold of this. The law can't change us. In fact, we either do two things, really. We either somewhat follow the law, which leads us to being self-righteous and really going back to that good thing, right? Like, well, I'm pretty good. I don't, you know. Or we fail miserably and we're just left completely in despair. And so when we get here, the law, according to the Scripture, the strength of sin is the law. So the law is actually empowering sin. Now, now hang with me. It sounds a little bit odd for a second, but just stick with me. So, for example, when you hear you can't do something, you immediately start trying to stop. And what you come to the realization of is that you can't. Like you're under this grip and you're under this power. In fact, when you give someone the law, when God gave us this law, it didn't mean that we would keep it. It simply meant that we would be more aware of the fact that we can't keep it and that we're actually under this power that we cannot defeat, which is sin, right? Let me say that again. When the law is given, when you think about these laws, it's not the whole point here. The law, again, we have an end goal. The whole point of the law is not just so that you would do them or not do them. The point is for you to come to this realization that you cannot keep them. And there's something taking place deep down within us. There's a real deep-rooted problem here that we, left to ourselves, we cannot defeat. Romans 3.20 says this, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. No one has right standing with God through keeping the law. And that's not the point. The point is not for you to be good enough and then you'll make it. The point is to give us this knowledge of sin. It's important that we know what sin is. Otherwise, we won't understand our need to be saved from it, right? Now think about this. This is a simple example, but if you're driving down the highway, it's a straight stretch, you know, you start going fast and you're getting faster and you're getting faster. Imagine there's no speed limit signs. There's no signs whatsoever and all of a sudden you come to this point where there's a really sharp curve. If you're going 75 miles an hour around this really sharp curve, what's going to happen? You're going to crash more than likely, unless you've got a, like a race car, unless you're like Jeff Gordon or something. I don't know. But the signs are there to say, hey, there's a curve just up here. You need to slow down and you probably need to hit it going around 35 miles an hour so that you'll be safe getting around it. Those signs are there to point us to the fact that, hey, up here at the end, like there's something dangerous coming and, and you, you need to be safe from that. Okay? The Holy Spirit uses the law to convict us. And these are, these are, when you hear some of these things, I realize that sometimes it can be uncomfortable, right? When you, you begin to kind of process it differently and, and you feel kind of bad. And at no point do I ever want to like say things and, and think, oh, he's just up here telling me how wrong I am. That's not the point. Listen, I'm kind of like Paul. I'm the chief of sinners, so to speak. But I want to define, clearly define these two things, kind of these two feelings that happen within us when we hear things about the law. And the first one is condemnation. And that term really is basically saying, hey, you're wrong. 
You deserve death. There is no hope. It leaves you guilty and it leaves you full of shame. And it leaves you at the end feeling hopeless. Conviction, on the other hand, again, it's okay to feel this. You, you feel wrong. You know that you're wrong. You're at this place where you realize that. You deserve death, but then it points you to someone who can save you from it. So over here we have hopeless, and over here we have hope. And that's what some of us may be experiencing. It's what I experience all the time, that conviction that comes in. And this is a beautiful thing, right? Like my wife and I have talked about this before. Sometimes you feel bad for something. Maybe you do something, you feel terrible about it. And it's actually a good thing that you feel so bad about it because you know that God's there. Right? God is like in there saying, I don't know, you shouldn't have done that. Like, let's, let's correct this a little bit and move in this direction. And so it's a beautiful thing actually to feel this. So it's a healthy thing to feel. Galatians 3.23 and 24 says this, But before faith came, we were kept under the guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been moments in my life, a couple big moments. I remember when I was 18 years old and I was staying with my mom and I woke up and I was living this godless life and just doing everything under creation all the wrong ways. And I felt real conviction for like the first time, like I really felt it. And, and the point was, like I knew I was doing things I wasn't supposed to be doing, but it was, it was never about like, hey, do this and don't do this. I come to a place of despair where I realized the choices that I was making was leading me into things I did not want to get into. I was depressed. I was broken. I felt hopelessness. I could see my relationships falling apart. Everything in my life was going down this clear, like it was a clear end. And I knew where my life would continue to go if I kept living that lifestyle and kept making those decisions. And I felt that conviction and that's when God started to bring me out of that. And it's a, a beautiful thing, but that was my tutor. I needed that. We need that. We need to feel those things. We need to understand, hey, we can't do this on our own. Romans 7, 11, and 12 says, For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, through it, and through it killed me, so the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Paul here is talking about, hey, the law is good. It's a good thing. And he talks about this in Scripture where he's like, listen, I want to do good and can't. It's like it's this constant struggle. Like you keep, you know, I'm going to do this for a while and then, you know, go back over here and do this for a while. And it's just this constant up and down, much like a lot of the folks throughout the entire Old Testament. So it's good. This law is good. This conviction is good. It brings us to a healthy place of realizing our need. Amen. You guys with me this morning? You guys still good? All right. Point number three. The law leads us to conviction and repentance. Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 3 says this, Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Then those of, Israel, of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law, of the Lord their God for one fourth of the day, 
And for another fourth, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. So here they are. They heard the law. It brought them to this place of like really feeling it. They were weeping. And then that led them to repentance and confession. Now, I want to take just a second to really dive into the power of confession and repentance. Because I believe that we really live in a day and age where, and you, hear, you hear this all the time, but it's so true. We get offended really easily. And no one wants to talk about the law or talk about sins or talk about what you're doing wrong because it makes us uncomfortable. And we don't want to offend anyone and hurt anyone's feelings. And that, by all means, is not my goal whatsoever. But we have to realize that this is crucial and it's important. When we confess, we're making a choice to literally step out of darkness and back into the light. We're stepping back into right relationship with God. So this is an extremely powerful moment for us to realize our need. I'm not saying get on Facebook and post everything you've ever done wrong. But we have to get to this place in our hearts where we we confess before God. And that's what these people did. They were confessing the sins of themselves and their fathers, and they were, they, were, they were in a broken place. And this is, we have to have this. It'd be like, for example, if Brenda and I got in a fight, and I did something wrong, and, and we both knew I did it wrong, but I just kind of left it unhealthy. And sometimes I, I'm kind of like that. I just want to be mad a while. I'm just like, I ain't apologizing. I'm just going to go over here and do it, you know. I'm going to wait for her to come back to me, you know. Now, over time, if I did do that, let's say I never brought it up again, over time... She, we would probably move on to a degree, right? But that little bitty thing would continue to build tension, right? So it's important for me to go to her and say, I'm wrong in this. I'm, I'm sorry for this. And as soon as you do that, all those walls break down. The moment I come to her and say, you got to give me a pardon. I'm sorry. Like immediately, the tension's gone. Where hours and hours can go by where you're both mad, you're not saying anything, and yada, yada, yada. And so that's important that we realize the power of confession when we're talking about law, we're talking about love, we're talking about a relationship with God, because that is the path that leads us back into this right relationship with God. God loves you too much. Listen to this. Get a hold of this. God loves you too much to leave you where you are. It's so important. God doesn't want you left here in depression and struggling with addiction and living this lifestyle that keeps pulling you down, keeps dragging you, keeps taking you into darkness. God wants you to break free from that. But in order to break free from it, we have to repent. Repent simply means go a different way. We have to come to that place where we're repenting and we're turning from things and turning back to God. Amen? Amen. The problem a lot of times is where we offer grace and we hear grace and, and really we, we don't realize that we even need it. And a lot of times we even feel entitled to it. Just like, ah, I'm pretty good. I've done a few wrong things, but God will forgive me. It's like we deserve it or something, you know. So we have to get past that. The people in Nehemiah, they allowed the law to do its work. They heard the law. They realized their true condition before God. And they were sensitive to the Word of God. And that's the way we need to be too. We need to be sensitive to these topics. 
And from here, they go into a really awesome place that leads them. If you continue reading, we're not going to do it in this particular message, but if you go back and read it uh, further in chapter 9 and 10, you'll see them offering up this prayer, and they're remembering God as Creator, and they're remembering all the wonderful things that God had done for them and brought them out of. And it's this beautiful kind of them coming back into right relationship. Now, unfortunately, this particular story is a bit anticlimactic. Because if you're familiar with the Old Testament at all, it's this constant, and I've said this already, but it's this constant up and down of they obeyed God and were blessed and they disobeyed and were cursed. And it's just they never fully got it right. And as we get into the end of the law, the last book of the Bible, Moses makes a clear point of the true problem. He says this in Deuteronomy 30, um, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. He's he's saying here, listen, you're never going to keep the law because it's not about these outward acts of doing things right. It's an inward heart issue. There's this song I've been listening to called Never Going Back. We've played it a few times here, but it's like my favorite song of the year uh, to this point. And there's this line in it that says, You see my heart... And you extend your grace. Think about that for a minute. Think about your heart, man. Like you all know me. Some of you know me. Some of you know me really well. My wife knows me better than anyone in here. But there's still deep-rooted things in here that's only between me and God. God sees that. And what's His response? Grace. Despite us, He loves us and gives us grace. Man, this is beautiful. And this is the point. At the end of the law, we get to this point where, listen, it's never, it's never about keeping it or not. It's about bringing us to this point of this is an inward issue. Point number four I have for you is love goes beyond the law. Now this, this is, man, this is huge if you guys can get a hold of this. Love goes beyond the law. And I want, I want to, real quick, there's a, there's a scripture. Uh, you guys are all probably you know, somewhat familiar with it. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking to these people, and they're super religious, and they're basically like, hey, we're good. We can follow the law. And he's like basically saying, okay, you know, be perfect. He's like, you say don't kill, but I say if you even hate somebody, you've already committed murder. Right? He said, it's not about just don't commit adultery. But I say to you, if you even look at another woman with lust, you've committed adultery. He's pointing to this issue. And then after the, the Sermon on the Mount, he goes down the hill and there's this leper in his condition. And he's like, if you're willing, God, you can heal me. And the Lord says, I'm willing. And he healed him completely. This leprosy is an image of our inward heart issue. You see here God giving grace to the humble and to the proud He's giving the law. And it's, again, pointing in both situations, it's pointing back to this deep heart issue. Right? Sorry, I got these notes. I thought about bringing an iPad so it was much cleaner, but I had a fear that it would die, the battery would go dead, and I'd just be like lost and be like, what am I going to say now? You know? <laughs> so that's, that's good. I got, this, I got this quote for you. Clay shared this uh, with me. And it's, uh, man, this is an awesome quote. It's by this fellow named Rich Villados. Villados, or you pronounce it. <laughs> what is it, Clay? <laughs> One of the problems 
of the church is that we talk about sins without the language of sin. Notice lowercase s and capital S. One of the ways to keep someone trapped in sin is to just talk about their sins. But sins are the expression of a much deeper problem, sin. When I was 17 years old, I started working at my dad's work as Phillips Diversified, and I started having these weird symptoms. My digestive system was doing all kinds of crazy things that I won't go into details about. I had pain that was unbearable, and so I went to the doctor. They decided to do a colonoscopy, and they got in there, and they found that I had Crohn's disease. Now, at that point, if I just went in there and said, all right, I've got pain, my digestive system isn't working really well, and they, they probably could have given me some really strong pain meds and maybe some stuff to help regulate my digestive system, and that may have worked temporarily for a moment, but that would have never got to the problem. See, because the pain was never the issue. The pain was a side effect of Crohn's, the disease that was inside that we can't see tangibly. We can see when someone's addicted or we can see when someone's you know, doing all these you know, outlandish you know, things. We can see that, but that's not the problem. And a lot of times we just want to address those. Like, you can't be doing that. They'll be doing this and this and this and this and this. And we don't even talk about the fact that that's just an extension of a deep-rooted issue. Now, the good news for us is that there's someone who came to deal with that. Amen? Yeah, we can give a hand clap. Praise God. I've been waiting for one of those. Thank you, Shada. <laughs> I want to I finish up with a few verses from Romans. And this is a beautiful picture. And I want to I close out with it. But in Romans uh, chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 7, we're, we're, we're going to be talking about this kind of imagery that Paul is giving to these people. And he uses marriage as, as a, a beautiful portrait here, but he's essentially telling these people, hey, he said, you're, you're married to the law. And so let me just dive into it and then we'll break it apart. He says, I write to you, dear brothers and sisters who are familiar with the law. Don't you know that when a person dies, it ends his obligation to the law? For example, a married couple is bound by the law to remain together until separated by death. But when one spouse dies, the other is released from the law of marriage so that then a wife is joined to another man while, while still married, she commits adultery. But if her husband dies, she is obviously free from that marriage contract and may marry another man without being charged with adultery. Now, I don't know about how you other husbands are, but when I wake up in the morning, I fully expect Brenda to have my clothes laid out, ironed, like I wanted to feed the dog, the kids, get them dressed, get them to school. I'm just going to drink my coffee. When I get home, I want supper to be there. I want the house clean, and I'm demanding everything from her. That's that marriage of law, married to the law, right? Now, what happened was when Jesus came, he attached himself to the law. He completely fulfilled the law. And what did Jesus do? He died for us. And so that'd be like going back to that, you know, silly little example if I were to die out, Brenda would be free from our marriage contract and she could pursue another relationship if she wanted to. And so we're left here, it says, verse 4, So my dear brothers and sisters, the same principle applies to your relationship with God. For you died to your first husband, the law, 
by being co-crucified with the body of the Messiah. So you are now free to marry another, the one who was raised from the dead so that you may now bear spiritual fruit for God. When we were merely living natural lives, the law through defining sin actually awakened sinful desires within us, which resulted in bearing fruit of death. But now that we've been fully released from the power of the law, we're dead to what once controlled us. And our lives are no longer motivated by the obsolete way of following the written code so that now we may serve God by living in the freshness of a new life in the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus died, He broke that covenant of law within us. Again, I'm not saying the law is a bad thing we don't use anymore. It has a purpose and it's good. In fact, Jesus said, I don't do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. When He died, that broke that old covenant of law and now we are free to enter into a relationship with Jesus in which now we are empowered through the Holy Spirit. The law is actually written on our hearts and love goes beyond the law. Now, like I said before, Jesus said, don't kill somebody. You've heard it said, don't kill somebody. But I say to you, if you even look at a brother with hate, you've already committed murder. But we go even beyond that because now we can respond with love. You've heard it said, don't steal. We actually give sacrificially. Rather than just not cheating on my wife, I can be a good husband. Just like Jesus said, the law is demanding, but Jesus gives self-sacrificially. It's this perfect example here of Jesus. He comes and He gives for us. Imagine Brenda comes home and the clothes are put up. I've got the dogs and the kid fed. Everything's done for her because of what I do for her and because of we're in this relationship of serving one another, our love grows stronger together. When we look at Jesus and we realize what He fully did for us on the cross, what He gave for us while we were still yet sinners, that drives us and motivates us to live and give our entire lives for Him. We're no longer bound and broken. We can enter into this life with Jesus to where those things are broken off of us and we can walk in freedom and we can walk in power. Now, as we talk through things, I know, as I'm sure just as I'm speaking, you're probably thinking about your own life and thinking about the law and thinking about things you've maybe messed up or things that's, you know, even out of your control, things that may be broken in your life and relationships or you're struggling with disease or, or things like that. And, and there's a lot of things that can make us feel all kinds of sorts of ways. And I want you to know that that invitation for you, Jesus is here, man. He's offering a better way. And yes, we still live in this broken world where we fully don't understand why things happen the way they do and we don't understand our, our own self-nature sometimes. But that deep-rooted sin problem has now been dealt with. We're on the other side of that, and Jesus' hands are open wide, and He's saying, just come, man. I'm here. Let me pray with us this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just I just love you and and as we as we hear these things, and this is a huge topic to try to digest. There's a, a lot of scripture there, and there's a lot of a lot of points there, and a lot of things that maybe we're struggling to understand. And, and God, we through our choices, we we broke things, God, and we 
live in a broken world and we come to you completely guilty. And we are sinners, God, and we are, are, are broken beyond what we can even imagine. And, and it's not just about the things we're doing as we've talked about, God. It's, it's a deep-rooted sin issue, God. And we know that through what you did on the cross, Jesus, you broke that power of sin. You broke that power of death. And now we have freedom in you. God, your arms are open wide this morning to anyone. And I pray that we can just come to you with, with, with broken hearts, God, that just like those people in Nehemiah, God, that, that, that were weeping before you, God. It brought them, them to this place of confession and it turned them back to you. And I just pray that we can be that this morning, that we can hear these words, we can be sensitive to those words, we can be sensitive to, God, what you're saying to us each individually this morning. And, we give everything to you, God. We remember you. You are creator. God, you are good. Your promises are true. You've showed up so many times in my own life. And God, you came and you died for us. You rose again. And your Holy Spirit here is here to empower us and embrace us and lead us and guide us and direction, direct us, God. And Again, I, just, I pray a special prayer this morning just over each and every single person in this room. God, I just want to give a little bit of time. I don't want to rush, rush things. I want people, God, to just feel you. And guys, I just encourage you, just, just, just sit here for a moment. And just like I said in the beginning, let's really ponder on the fact that we need God in every area of our lives. God, we give everything to you. We love you. We thank you. and guide us. We just give you all of our worship, all of our praise this morning. Thank you so much for this time you've allowed us to have. In Jesus' name.